Welcome to the What's Up With Thoughts podcast. I'm Tony Bell, the creator and host. We have two guests this week, one of whom is originally from Texas. In 2021, the Texas Observer began a land acknowledgement project called Unseated. Here is a statement from their website. The Texas Observer acknowledges that Texas occupies the unceded homelands of many indigenous communities and nations, past and present, and remains home to indigenous people today. We honor the people with origin stories and traditional ties to these lands. Those whose territories include present-day Texas, those who came here by forced removal, and those who are forcibly removed, and all indigenous communities who have maintained relationships with the land. The history of colonial violence against indigenous people continues to this day, often fostered by journalists who have promoted violence through condescension, stereotypes, or silence. To counteract that history, the Texas Observer is committed to increasing coverage of indigenous people, hiring indigenous staff and fellows, and training journalists and the protocols necessary to respectfully and accurately report in indigenous communities. As well, the Observer is collaborating with tribal representatives to map their homelands and significant places on their own terms, as they wish to describe them. We will feature these map collaborations here, along with interviews or other details for a better understanding of the places and stories in the map. We recognize that simply acknowledging the land and its communities will not return land to its traditional caretakers. But we hope you will find this acknowledgement and these resources useful for understanding this was and always will be Indigenous land. Learn more about this project by visiting the link on our website. In this episode, I speak with film director Scott Kalanico and archival researcher and producer Sandy Weedon. During our conversation, we chat about our first meeting at the Yilava Documentary Film Festival, Berlin before the wall came down, unique German archives, and their latest documentary short, Catwoman versus the White House. The film, which will be screened on the New Yorker website for Black History Month, celebrates a little-known moment in history when Arthur Kitt confronts Lyndon Baines and Lady Bird Johnson about their lack of real support and initiatives for Black folks in the inner city and those soldiers returning from Vietnam. Soon after this encounter in 1968, Arthur Kitt was unofficially blacklisted in the United States. She was fortunately embraced by Europe and the people of France specifically. So this week's song is her rendition of the classic Say si bon. Here is our conversation, which was recorded in February 2022. I am a brown-skinned um, black woman. Um, I am wearing black headphones, and I have shoulder, well, a little slightly longer than shoulder-length um, sister locks. I'm wearing a black shirt and sitting in front of a black microphone. Behind me is a very like lime green couch and like turquoise blue um, curtain. And then there's like a multicolor painting behind me. Uh, my, okay, my name is Scott. I am six feet tall, which is 183 centimeters for those in um, Euroland. Um, I have green eyes. Uh, my head is shaved. I keep my head very shaved. And right Ooh. now I'm wearing a stocking cap and a black hoodie. So I kind of look like a cat burglar a little bit, and I'm wearing glasses as well. And I'm sitting in a called a Plattenbau in East Berlin, built in 1985. So at the height of uh, East Germany, uh, I'm in one of their houses at their housing estates. And with me is Sandy. Um, my name is Sandy Wieding. I'm a white woman with blonde hair. I just have it up in a bun right now. It's 
uh, it's just growing <laughs> it's yeah. somewhere. It's just hanging down my back. <laughs> and and um, yeah, I have um, blue, green, gray eyes that sometimes also look brown, depending on the light. Yeah, she's got three, three eye colors on her, on yeah, her license. I'm wearing a black and purple striped uh, dress and a sweater jacket. Uh, I'm sitting here with Scott in my living room and the infamous platinum bow that already was mentioned. Um, yeah, this is my apartment and behind us are my plants and sometimes maybe even a cat. Yeah. <laughs> because we have the cat tree right behind us. Yeah, so Sandy, I think if I remember correctly, you were like, weren't you like 10 when the wall came down? I was nine years. Yeah, but Sandy has like the like the coolest stories about like East Berlin, particularly like her family and everything like back in the day. So I was trying to remember, was it your your dad or your grandfather who was held by the, the was it the Stasi? That was my uh, father. My father must have been, I think, 18 or so. And he considered himself a very outgoing party person. <laughs> as far as you could go out on, and have, have a party somewhere. <laughs> in 90, in 70, 79, I think was that, yeah. Because it was all disco, he was wearing, of course, the best uh, white spandex <laughs> suit he could wear. So he was walking down the street and he was he was leaving the the club and um, he thought in his 18 year old being drunk, uh, it was early in the morning. Hey, I could actually take a look at the wall and then peek over and see how the trains are going. Just peeking like train spotting over the wall, which was not possible where he tried because he was also drunk. So his brain told him this is absolutely possible. And he started walking and then he he just got grabbed. Uh, he was uh, um, torn into a uh, thrown into a car. Uh, he was they he was uh, they were driving around for hours. And um, then he was. Yeah, he was arrested. Well, he's arrested. He was yeah, put he, in jail. He yeah, he was put in jail. Yeah. He was interrogated for forty-eight hours because uh, people tried to find out if he wanted to flee, if he was planning something. Because <laughs> when you wear your best disco suit, you're <laughs> definitely planning on leaving the country. <laughs> but it was. I mean, it's. I'm. We're laughing now. For him, it was like really, really, really. Uh, bad. He was interrogated 48 hours straight in a room. Uh, he had to stand for several hours. He was peeing himself at one point because he was not allowed to uh, go some. So, and it was in, interrogation was always about breaking people. If you could break them within a few hours, they would tell you everything. But my father didn't have anything to tell. And he was still living with his parents. So his mother got a call uh, that. Uh, your son will not come home for a while and um, don't worry he's alive but after a week they were taking him and other men down to the basement they had to carry their stuff whatever they had there and they had to wait in front of a wall had uh, face face to the wall and they heard guns clicking something so my father was sure that's it he's going to die now which was like the like the cherry on top of uh, being tortured and interrogated at the, the fake firing squad. And then he was basically put in the car again. And they were driving him around for a while. And 
and then he got home. Nothing ever happened after a week. Yeah. Wow. So, um, and that's that's the stuff. I mean, it's kind of funny thinking about my father as going to the uh, wall and being all eighteen years old. But that was a story that that also always was proof that my my family didn't want to really have to do anything with that system. They, my my father always was writing nice newspaper articles and stuff when he was in the army, like a lot of ass kissing there, if I can say that. The opinion itself was basically against the system. Actually, I was raised in, in an anarchist's household. That, that changed when we had capitalism, but mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> until, until then, until then, it was uh, very smuggling Solidarność papers over the border from Poland to Berlin and stuff. So. So like that, that radicalized your grandparents and your dad in a way. That radicalized everyone in my family. So, and that was also a reason why uh, um, we were not really allowed to tell everything we watched on TV or so because teachers would ask you, oh, if you watch the news, what would the clock, what, what does the clock look like before the news starts? And as a kid, you say, I don't know, golden something, something. Ha. Huh. So you're watching West German TV, gotcha. <laughs> and I mean, nothing really happened, but it was, I guess, somewhere written down. And then there was something filed somewhere. That was it. So that was how I grew up. Or if you, if you have, have a phone call and you hear a weird clicking sound, you will not tell everything. You're not making a wish list from your grandma to bring from West Berlin at that point. Mommy, again, what's the name of that the East Berlin Museum? Is it DER? The DDR. That was oh. that was the name. The Deutsche Democratic <laughs> Democratic Republic was yeah. the, the German name for East Germany. They didn't yeah. they didn't call it East Germany or West no. Germany. Yeah, it was it was the Federal Republic of Germany and then the German Democratic Republic. The, the enemies. Yeah. yeah. Imperialists. Our listeners who are not Berlin um, ever get a chance to visit Berlin. It's a really fascinating museum. I mean, it really shows the, the contrasting life between East Berliners and West Berliners. And some of it's funny, some of it's kind of scary, the difference in the contrast. And, and so Sandy, like, because always, I remember that story because it's just so powerful. Have you ever thought about kind of like doing some kind of doc on that? My father doesn't have his file yet, so we don't know what actually happened we have everything that he told me i also heard from others because these were just the regular methods to deal with people like my father but um there are so many stories in my family that are i think even more worth digging in like my like having a having a gay uncle in east germany Mm -hmm. yeah so uh that was something we did officially there were no gay people didn't exist so i mean everybody knew but uh, uh, for example, my my uncle's boyfriend was married officially and had kids because he was a um, teacher somehow, and that would have cost its job. So as soon as the wall fell, your uncle just like took off. He was like, "Yep, bye, yep. I'm out of here." <laughs> yeah, the crazy <laughs> thing about like when the wall fell because like East Germany, they were like kind of like. Basically, what they were doing is they started like, okay, let people go, and they would give you a stamp mm-hmm. in your in your passport, which was meant that you were like a bad person, and like they were maybe going to not let you back in because you know they were trying to keep it up for a while. They're like, oh yeah, we'll still be in Germany, we'll still be here, you yeah. know. 
and nobody really knew. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why that's why my family didn't. Um, when the wall fell, my whole family didn't go out because nobody knew if if we yeah. would come back. It was real. They would be able to come back. So only my father went out and my uncles and my mother was sitting at home waiting. <laughs> And then the next day, the next day when it was sure, oh, actually uh, in daylight, it looks not so threatening to go. Uh, then we went over and we went to Neukölln, uh, which that back in the days was not, not what I expected from West yeah. Berlin. That's kind of, that's kind so of the already, was, already part of town. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. But it was very rundown and, and you had like chimney smoking. I never <laughs> saw almost people before because I was just not used to that I mean I grew up in the outskirts so going into a city that is and it was a different city for me and it partly still is it still feels weird yeah <laughs> you can still you can still see a lot well you're you're here Tony but yeah. you can still see a lot of differences you can still see things where you go okay oh, I, mean, yeah, the, I mean it's in the architecture yeah and like the street lights you can still see like if you look at a satellite map of the city you can still see like all the East German street lights still work East Berlin street lights so one thing I want to mention to our audience, one reason why I'm kind of getting in, Sandy does a lot of work. She does a lot of work in archives. Like if you ever working on a documentary about East Germany, East Berlin, and you're looking for an archivist, like hit up Sandy. First of all, let's talk about just how we met. So we met in the Czech Republic at the Yilova Documentary Film Festival. So, um, so why were, why were y'all there? Oh man! Oh yeah, yeah. So I was showing a actually a film mm -hmm. that Sandy had helped me with uh, called The Escape Agents. Um, and basically, what it was was I found a bunch of photos while going to the East German archives, the Stasi, the secret police archives. And so basically, what they would used to do back in the day is if they caught you trying to sneak out of East Germany or, or out of trying to cross the border into the West, what they would do is they'd arrest you. And then they would make you reenact your escape and then take pictures of it. So they would use it for training purposes. The whole family. Yeah, so, so if you if you try to yeah. flee with kids, you kids were in these photos. Yeah. So I found these photos of basically what it was. It was a it was a pair of two West Germans who would go to East German, East Berlin, get these families, put them in the in the trunk of their car, and then drive back to uh, West Berlin. And they got caught. So it's just these crazy photos of this older couple and then like a family with a guy and his wife and his kid and they have everybody's faces blurred out. Except the guys. Except for the guys, yeah. And then the uh, and the guys wearing, so I think these were from 85 or something. something. Yeah, and the guys wearing like a Miami Vice jacket. It's kind, of, it's kind of crazy. So they took pictures of the old couple driving the car and then they took pictures of the family hiding in the trunk you know, how they're all wrapped up with their kids. And they, they took pictures of them coming out of the trunk and everything. So I just kind of strung those together um, and kind of created, I found the news articles about the actual, when they got arrested. So I kind of created a narrative for it. And then we showed it at Kilava, which was um, kind of an experimental documentary festival. And I was actually, we showed it in the experimental um, showcase. In the this, morning. In the morning. But this is, <laughs> this is kind of the, the, this is why Kilava was so much fun, was that um, it was like daylight savings time and we were at an experimental documentary showcase at nine, I think it started at nine or ten in the morning like and it was all like you it know packed. it was packed but let's just say European experimental films and they we were like the very last film and they showed it and then I noticed the um, aspect ratio was wrong 
when they were they were showing the film so you couldn't read any of the subtitles and so it looked really experimental <laughs> all you could see was like the middle part of it so they finished it then they came back to me and they're like hey sorry about that uh, what we're going to do is we want the judges to see on the screen is we're going to show it again in the next experimental film <laughs> showcase so then we had, to watch, we had to watch another one so we had to watch three hours of experimental documentary Lots films. Of yeah. and stuff. <laughs> so that was it and then i think we met you that night at the um uh, yeah. that, that, that great party at the end yeah they have a really great party like good drink and um and really cool, good food and everything. And the room they, where they had that particular, is like really cool because all these like drawings on the ceilings. It's the town hall from whenever, from like, I don't know, 15 something. something. Yeah. And it's not that far from Prague, it's like two hours from Prague, but like that part of, of the Czech Republic had a lot of Germans in it. So like that that town, Hilava is actually, Hilava is actually kind of Germanic too. So they have this history, you know. If you get to the Czech Republic to that festival, like it's actually one of my favorite documentary festivals mainly because of it does focus on really cool experimental type docs like even like the non-experimental docs are kind of like experimental in a way you will see and hear things like artistic things and documentaries that you you've never seen before like i've just seen things that just kind of like blown me away so I, i just really appreciate that about that that festival yeah, it's, and it's it's a small town, and they kind of take over the town. It's a university town too, so it's yeah, it's really cool and like lots uh, of young people. Yeah, and then they actually broadcast their award ceremony throughout the Czech Republic, and it's like one of the most um, watched shows each year. I think the year before I met you there, I I went. I was sitting next to a woman in the front row, and then she was like, "Oh, you need to have um, they give you headphones, and they have somebody." live translating because they have simultaneous translation and then it wound up the woman i was sitting next to was like the czech minister of culture <laughs> it <was> like, oh. <laughs> it's so cool like the people you meet there so i went there as the, the two times i went there as part of the press for where i used to work but like i remember i was hanging out with the last year i was there so that was 2019 before the world before the plague i found myself hanging out with unofficial title is a minister of the future of of scotland so they actually have this ministry. They have appointed this person. Her role is to, when policies and legislation is introduced, to um, examine and scrutinize that policy to see how it will impact people as well as the environment in the next 25 years. This position isn't just like a figurehead position. It, that this position has power. If they're, if they're introducing like some kind of environmental initiative that will have some kind of negative impact that it will actually be vetoed. Uh, we actually met at a, at a party and then um, she ended up being at, so at Yulava, they invite press to these press breakfasts every morning. So they invite like filmmakers and stuff and then, you know, notable people who are attending the festival. So like we met the night before and then I met her at the press breakfast and then we actually got to hang out at a cocktail party. You just meet amazing, random, amazing people and just could have like real conversations. And yeah, so it's, it's a great festival. It's a fun festival. It's 
like always it's incredibly purposeful so so y'all were there for that and then we met at the party and then I was headed to Doc Leipzig afterwards and then like we exchanged information because after Leipzig I was going to hang out in Berlin we all met there when I got to Berlin and it was like hella fun the next year we did the same I did the same thing particularly it was 2019 which was the anniversary of the wall coming down and there are all these amazing events happening so and then Sundance 2020 because we saw you guys at that producer's party or something because you had a shirt there I feel like I've known y'all forever great people and like you know y'all are like my doc family friends so I really appreciate that oh thank you yeah so okay so Scott I just want to know okay first of all how did you get into documentary um I kind of started out doing comedy short films and doing comedy and I've always been into like doing stand-up and things I just started redoing stand-up again for the first time here in Berlin do you do it in German uh no it's in English it's English, <laughs> English. No, no, no. Okay, you don't okay. want to talk about German stand-up no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. uh, but you tell funny stories about Germans but that's always good um and, and then I started making comedy films and then I made kind of my first documentary. It was called The King and Dick. Say that again. Called The King and Dick. Now the story is kind of famous. This is like 20 years ago. But like the the night when Elvis got all hopped up in pills and went to go visit President Nixon. So I, I kind of did a, a, a documentary about that. Everything that Nixon, that, that Elvis wrote to Nixon is in the National Archive. Because he actually wrote a letter to Nixon um, on the plane stationary, American Airlines stationary. And all those pictures are in the National Archives because they're you know, that makes, that makes them public domain. So I kind of strung all those pictures. So this, you know, there's a famous picture of those two shaking, of Elvis and Nixon shaking hands, but they actually took a whole roll of film uh, of the, 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 the meeting. And so, cause the very first picture you see is Elvis coming into the Oval Office wearing sunglasses, where he's wearing these sunglasses and you can't tell in the photos because they're black and white, but he's wearing a crushed purple velvet jumpsuit. So when you see that picture of Elvis and Nixon, that's a purple jumpsuit that he's wearing. I made that and that did really well. I got into Sundance and I showed a bunch of festivals. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this is kind of my thing. I think I like I really like doing these documentaries and but like making a little twist on them and making them entertaining and finding these little bits of history that that people didn't know about. And so that's that's kind of how I started. And then I just kind of went down that path. And then after I'd done that for a few years, decided to get really serious and, and went to graduate school for journalism, uh, moved to the UK. So is that how you got to Europe and to the UK? Yeah, that was about 10, 12 years ago. And it was actually, because in the UK, you could get a master's in a year, as opposed to like in the States where it takes like two years. So I was like, all right, well, I have to live in London, but it's almost cheaper because I'm, you know, I have to pay for a year of school. Um, so yeah, so I did that, and then the UK gives you a work permit, and then so I just kind of wound up staying. I was like, yeah, I really like it over here. And then after I've been in the UK about five or six years, I got my Italian citizenship, which was really helpful. If you're in, in of Italian descent, like oh, you have a grandfather, you can actually get your citizenship, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean that that literally took it was nine years from start to finish because I just I knew I was legal. I talked to the embassy, and they go, oh yeah, you can do it, but just having to gather all the paperwork was such a, it was, that was a t uh, almost 10 year process. So then I got my Italian citizenship, which means I'm EU citizenships. So now I can live and work anywhere over here. I got the passport from in 2015. It has my Italian passport has yet to be stamped because they oh. just don't even like, they just look at it over here. 
Yeah, come on in. Now, the one time I am, I, I have been a little nervous going to Italy with a passport because I don't speak Italian yet. I speak a little bit. So I'm always afraid when I go there that somebody's going to start like really questioning me. But uh, yeah, it's all been, it's been good so far. Sandy, how did you and Scott meet? Because I don't think I know that story. Through stand-up, basically, and through knowing people. Yeah, we just, we wound up, actually, the show that we went to last night, we went to this crazy Welsh guy <laughs> named Miles. Miles! Cra- crazy Welsh <laughs> Toothless guy with a one-eyed dog. He's not uh, toothless. My, he's missing one. He's missing a tooth. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we both kind of knew the same guy. Like I knew him from Edinburgh from during the Fringe, and so the yeah. him, then we kind of went out hanging out, and then yeah. yeah. So basically, shortly after you came to Berlin, we were yeah. She says she picked me up. For, I was fresh off the boat as soon as I got <laughs> literally as soon as I got here. And then how long? How long y'all been together now? Three and a half years. Yeah, three and a half years. That first year was pretty intense because it was like literally I, I moved to Berlin and then, you know, then I got into Sundance and then there's that whole crazy year after that where you get to show at all these different festivals. So we, we got to travel a bunch. Scott, so you were in London and that's kind of how you got your taste of Europe. I wanted you to kind of go into a little bit about the funding because I know I was reading in your bio how you actually got some funding from, was it Scotland Film Board? So I lived in London, then kind of moved around the UK for a while. So I actually lived in more places in the UK than the US. I've been to every capital in the UK. So I was happy that's my thing, my big go checklist. Um, so I lived in Belfast for a while and then I lived, I moved to Edinburgh. I got a job in Scotland. So wound up being in Edinburgh and Edinburgh, like we just talked about this, the, the Scottish are very different than the English. I mean, it's, it's like a, it's, they're really more communal. You know, they're all about their society and taking care of each other and making sure their country, people have what they need and everything. So that's really cool about that. And so when I moved to Edinburgh, I knew they have like a really vibrant documentary scene, this place called the Scottish Documentary Institute. And they do this great program that's called um, Bridging the Gap, where they, they invite people and people go in, you pitch your idea for a short documentary. And then if you get selected, they fund it. And then they found it, they, I think it was like five or 7,000 pounds. They give you, you know, enough money where you can make a nice short film. And does it matter? It doesn't matter where you're from or because you had the work permit, you were able to. Yeah, you have to be a resident of Scotland. Yeah. So I think they might have broadened it to UK, but like for the then, they, you had to be living in Scotland. So I was living in, I was living in Edinburgh when that, that and the UK government in general is really good about supporting things and supporting artists and like the British Film Council and the, and the British Film Board. And they've been, I mean, they would like help you out with tickets. The same, same thing goes for the, um, there's a German Kurtz film uh, board here in Berlin and they'll like pay half my plane tickets and stuff like that. So they, they're very, very supportive. As opposed to the US, I didn't really... U.S. was a little different. I, d- I do remember going, so I would show films at the Maryland Film Festival a lot, and they were pretty well-funded, I think, because I remember a couple times they flew me out to um, Baltimore to show films and stuff, and they were, they were, they were pretty good. Um, but as far as, like, like getting funding and stuff, it, it seemed like the, in the U.K., at least when I was there, it was like they were pretty... Um, progressive and forward thinking with like okay here's you go you, you you do a pitch okay we like that we'll give you some money um i haven't applied a whole bunch in the u.s too much so i can't really talk about that as you know 
in general. But yeah, but the UK <laughs> and they were very supportive. Like I'll say, Scotland was was, and I'm still in contact with these people. I still talk to them all the time. Um, and then they support you, and they're they're really really helpful. How did you two start figuring out that y'all wanted to kind of like you wanted to date, but then figured out, hey, we could actually kind of work together a little bit. How did that happen, Sandy? Uh, I guess because we're both massive nerds. <laughs> I was showing him uh, a Bril- showing him around anyway, all the Berlin places, the the border posts. Like I took him to every single little watchtower that's somewhere in a park hidden. Not to interrupt, but like Sandy is like the best like informal tour guide. Like you're walking around, she's like, "There is this, and there is this, and this happened there." You know. Yeah, I mean, you can't, I mean, it, it, you can't help it. It's like when you're over here, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just like a lot. I know a lot of people will move here. And they just don't really care about the history of the city. And I'm like, how can you like, you know, we, we just crossed the wall. You know, yeah. how, how can you ignore that? You know? uh, Scott just asked me if I could translate some stuff because we were, um, you, you were ordering some files from the uh, Stasi archive, uh-huh. the, the secret police archives. Um which are a massive archive and I want to say two-thirds of it are not even um cataloged yeah, yeah. They, they don't even know what they have they have yeah. they have yeah. they have so much uh, we were in there we were film doing some filming uh, over the summer yeah and they just had walls of videotapes they haven't even copied yeah. yet is it pretty easy to access what you just you can make an appointment to go there or how, how does that work so the rules are that you can either ask for your own file if you can prove you lived in in the system basically until you are somehow in the system or if you want to get a file from a dead relative but you cannot just go in there and say oh i want to i i would like to know if my neighbor had a file or something so that's not how it works but there are also files that are public now because they belong to either people who decided to make their file public, uh, like uh, people who went to jail and had went through horrible stuff and just wanted to have that out in the open. Because uh, in my opinion, a lot of people still underestimate what actual, it was a dictatorship, it was terror, it was people were vanishing and never turned up again, kids were adopted into families and stuff so there, there was a lot of a lot of stuff happening and having all these people uh yeah just reading each other out yeah. you have this massive amount of data and a lot of it is quite frankly it's boring you have you have like uh, even from the from the from the public uh the, the stuff that's out in the open like the the, the one uh, file that we ordered uh-huh. There is so much boring stuff in there yeah. because they needed to write down everything. Person is leaving the car right, now. Exactly, yeah. Person is locking the car now. Person is turning around towards this and this street, moving over like yawn. <laughs> but then you also have to read it because there are so many info- informations in there yeah. that could be valuable. Yeah, I mean, they, they've, they've got actually they have, they have a really good website. They put some of the stuff yeah. online. It's called Stasi Media Tech. Stasi Media Tech. I think it's PSU. No, because they, they, they it was they used to have they used to have this whole agency. The only reason this agency existed was to publish these documents and give them out. And it was, I can't, I'm not gonna even try it in German, but in English, the name of the agency was 
the Federal Agency for the Preservation of the Documents of the Former Security Services of the e Former East German Democratic Republic. Yeah. <laughs> so in German, in German, that's like three times as long. Oh, dude, you know, it was like yeah. a scary looking word. <laughs> um, but they got, I think they just got folded into the National Archives just like last yeah, year. And also, don't forget, it's not only archive. in Berlin. Yeah. These archives are in, I want to say, every big East German city. Dresden, yeah. Leipzig has one, Rostock has one. Leipzig has one, okay. So, yeah. so all yeah. the big cities have their own, and then you have like small uh, um, offices that operated also as data collective. Yeah. And the, the other fascinating thing is that, like, so as the German, as the government started to collapse, all these Stasi people, um, they started shredding, they tried to. <laughs> shred everything right they would just go and 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 basically the people saw in east berlin people saw that happening and they broke into the complex yeah. they yeah. said you guys stop doing that yeah so wow. what they did is they seized all these bags they had like fifteen thousand male sized bags of shredded documents that they're still piecing together yeah they're still doing really they're trying to put it back together they have people who that's their job they, they have a team there. of people who are just putting yeah. together scraps of paper. They call what's out? They, they call them the puzzle ladies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and for some reason, they figured out, <laughs> for some reason, women were better at putting the paper. They figured they had like a better spatial identity of putting together ripped pieces of paper. They figured out. Yeah, <laughs> we're, and we're talking we're talking about a a, a system that has no no computers or anything. It's just written down in ledgers in yeah. tiny tiny scraps of paper yeah. sometimes it's just the uh, um of a like written on some 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 newspaper or so oh i just saw this and that and then that's also in the file so yeah. and then someone had to take all of that and and type uh, just uh, use a typewriter yeah. and just uh, type it all and then sometimes you still have the leftovers like the little sheets where the notes but sometimes you always you only have the um type writers yeah. so, so, oh, it's, yeah. and it's like i said some some stuff is public and yeah. and there are there are files that yeah. are like 45 pages yeah. long and, yeah to, so to answer your question yes they're very it's it's they're pretty very cooperative because they want to get this they yeah. want to publish like this is what we're doing we're helping they want to do okay yeah. and there, yeah. so i guess the the german government is clearly funding yeah. these efforts yeah yeah so they're as we said, I think they got folded into the the Bundes archive, the National Archives. Now, yeah. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I'm. I. Oh my God. Like I'm thinking there should be a documentary called The Puzzle Ladies. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's. Hey, don't steal my ideas. <laughs> okay. Team <laughs> up yeah. again. Don't tell anybody. They have like if you go to the Stasi Media Tech website, they have these crazy videos. Like they have this one video, it was another training video they did of some they they showed you these guys stasi agents breaking into somebody's apartment and they're, they're, and they're just videotaping it right these guys break into somebody's apartment they go through his apartment they take out all his documents they're taking pictures of it you know they're with like little spy mm -hmm. cameras and shit they put everything back and then they leave again yeah and they put microphones yeah. in, the, yeah. in the in the phone they put microphones in the lamp and yeah. behind i think behind the picture yeah, behind a painting crazy, or yeah. so and all of that is public because if you want to if you want to take a peek how people were peeking yeah <laughs> so, so that that's yeah, but that one that one in particular yeah. that was a training film mm -hmm. that was like here's how to break into somebody's apartment yeah. and take it yeah nuts. also i think there are also interrogation 
Yeah, those interrogation things, ones. Yeah. Tapes. Um, so, I mean, obviously it's all in German and there are no subtitles as no. far as I know. Which is, which is, which is where Sandy's um, from. And of course, all the files are in German. <laughs> so, it's not that anyone can just walk in there and, hey, I want to take a look at a file. Haha. <laughs> it's that. Yeah. And also, you if you sign up for a file, it, it doesn't even mean you have a file. It doesn't mean you are in the system. So, it can take up to years until someone finds a name until that they can get of, until they get back to you yeah yeah and sometimes it's very fast because like in in the one point what we were working on because that guy was already a double agent and he was the bad guy so everything was very there was a lot of stuff written down for about him mm -hmm. but if you are just looking for your mom or someone in your family or you that grandpa who was like a normal working class person then it can it can take up some time yeah yeah mm. that's it's, fascinating I mean, it still can be found i mean yeah. berlin is anyway it's a city of archives we do not only have the the bsu or the uh, secret uh, police files we mm. also have the old um charge records yeah. from east prussia going dating back to uh I don't know, 1700 something something when people started writing down all the stuff. So all of that is on uh, microfilm. Yeah. Oh, and also uh, the old address books of Berlin are online. So you oh, really? Berlin yeah. started having address books uh, in, I think, 1700 something. Wow. So you have, like you have maybe the first book is like 10 pages. Yeah. So like you could actually like kind of like if you're German, you trace your family, like where your family lived. Yeah, if you and if you if you have family, if you knew, okay, a hundred years ago someone lived in Berlin, I could look up my whole family. That was the thing. Like, I didn't. This was like ten years ago, but like they started ten years ago. Cool. But like Ellis Island started doing that, so they started putting up all their of every ship that came into the states through Ellis Island. They started putting up the ship yeah. manifest, and so I that's when I I started doing research. You can see, oh yeah, there's my. Uh, my, my actually my great grandfather came to the states, worked for a while, went back to Italy, got married, and then came back to the states, and and then lied and said he'd never been there before. And it's in the it's in the thing. So it's archives brought y'all together. Yeah. Yeah, and that's much. that's why I also know that my family is and they they came from East Prussia in eighteen hundred sixty or so, and yeah, that was like a whole bunch of people within a few years, like thirty people of my family 30 readings were all of a sudden in berlin <laughs> and all of them in the same area for 100 yeah. years so i don't know if that's quite an yeah. achievement <laughs> yeah. so those, for those of those keeping keeping track at home east yeah. russia that's poland now so there's no, right. there is it's no almost russia there is no more prussia yeah it's yeah. like lithuania yeah. whatever okay i know y'all are in berlin but how are y'all feeling about the whole ukraine thing because like over here, it's all in the news how Biden, President Biden, is sending troops to the to the border between um, Germany and Ukraine. I mean, like, what's the news there? So I do. I, I have a day job, which actually I make training films. Yeah, you can. So, talk more about so, that. But my 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 day job, I work with a lot of Ukrainians. The the thing is, is is that Ukraine keeps kind of threatening to join NATO or side with NATO. And right, right. Russia doesn't like that, and so it, yeah. But it seems like it's like the Cold War still hasn't ended no, yet. It did not end. No, it did <laughs> yeah. not. And Russia still has a czar, kind of. It is. It is. It's. It's partly. It's very tense. I mean, not the not the Ukraine thing, but the Russian 
communication with with Germany is a bit tense at the moment. I mean, I think mm -hmm. they, didn't they like get their head the diplomats yeah, getting uh, getting removed. From oh them. yeah, and there was a guy, and there was the guy that the, the guy that, with a T, the, the guy that died, the guy. Yeah, yeah they thought, yeah. oh man, that was like and a, all of that happened in Berlin. So. Yeah, that was like two months ago. They found some guy, a Russian guy, like died outside the embassy or something, or saw out a window. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm like super 80s flashback like holy crap dude <laughs> yeah this is all kind the cold of... war lives on cold war 3.0 or yeah i don't know <laughs> let's get into um eartha kit and the this would you say this is your specialty scott as far as dots or as like finding things we didn't know about in history and like diving deep into archives and like putting it together is that kind of your dot thing you think yeah i mean i think that it is i mean i, I like like I mentioned, I like finding these little bits of history that people don't know about. And the thing about this Eartha Kit thing was that I kind of knew about the story and kind of been out. Actually, they did it. They did it on uh, Drunk History. <laughs> they they, they kind of did it on Drunk History. Yeah, I did a little research beforehand. But like, when you see the actual pictures, you're like, holy crap, this is kind of cool because they like um, they had these pictures of, of the event where Eartha kind of back in '68, um, Mrs. Johnson, Lady Bird. Yeah, they call it the Women Doers Luncheon, where like women would to get get together and solve all the problems of the world. <laughs> but uh, it's called the Women Doers Luncheon, and um, they invited Eartha Kitt, who was you know a, a singer, pretty famous. And at the time, she was on; she just starred on Batman. So best character. Yeah. So they <laughs> and because she was doing a lot, she was doing a lot of work with uh, juveniles in. Uh, in Watts, like right after the, the the riots and stuff, and she had a foundation there. I think I think it's still there. Um, and so she had a foundation. So they they wanted her to come speak or come to this luncheon, you know, and hang out. So she gets to the luncheon, and then as she tells that, she says they're just kind of talking about like planting trees in the ghetto and just like here's how we can make things better. And like she just to quote her, it just kind of just builds up, and she's just like, yeah, enough of this. Right. And basically what happens is, yeah, like like President jo the president actually walks in at one point. He, he makes a surprise appearance. Uh -huh. And he walks in <laughs> and just says a few words. And he thinks he's just going to say a few words and walks out. But like right when he turns to leave, Eartha Kitt like stands up. because She's in front of the room and like kind of confronts him. And just the image. So when y'all see this, like image, like Eartha Kitt is this little, little tiny yeah. black woman. Yeah. And like Johnson is this big old, big old white yeah. man. And she's just like. She's like she's just there. Like I have something yeah. to say. She's on fire. Yeah. Then the look, so... and oh. that's what we're talking about. There's a whole. There's like four or five pictures of that. Just that yeah. encounter. And you can just kind of see this look you in her see eyes. It. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he kind of like he kind of mansplains to her a little bit, and then he walks off. And then there's another point in the luncheon where they're taking questions at the end, and Eartha just stands up and just goes off, and she's like starts talking about Vietnam. It's like you guys are sending kids to go die you know they come talk to me every day and you guys are sitting here talking about flowers and, and yeah and so none of that was on archive but what we have is is ladybird would make an audio recording audio diary every day after every day that when she was like she was the first lady and so we have her actual recording and then we have eartha's recording of it like she made you know about 15 years ago so we've got these two different spectrums. So it's it's really interesting to hear that. And then we've got the press, you know, the 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 people from the press who are talking about what was going on there too. So yes, yeah, so I put that all together. 
And then the thing that I think just kind of really sold it is that when she premiered a month a month before this luncheon was her 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 first date as Catwoman. And in her very first show as Catwoman, she interrupts a luncheon <laughs> in the Catwoman episode. And I was like, holy shit, dude. So she knew what she was doing. Yeah, there's right? actually... She says, I, yeah, I, she I, I've, I've done this thing before. There's actually, it's from, from the Batman, there's Commissioner Gordon saying, Catwoman, you can't just come in here and interrupt a luncheon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So the, the New Yorkers, when we're, where we're promoting the site, even their lawyers were like, they're good enough to fight fight for us for fair use for using the Batman. That's so. one thing like that we we talked about like when you first when you first showed it to me. So they they came to our, our bat and that's kind of like the 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 genesis of how all that came together. Right. Um, what didn't come together was that we wanted to use that that Eartha Kitt song say ball. Yeah, at the end. Yeah. At the end, which we thought it was just so great and like we knew we could make fair use arguments for it, but the lawyers there were like, yeah, we don't want to. We, so we had to we had to pull that song, which was a shame because it, it really fit in well. And we we tracked down the footage. There's footage of her singing that song from that same year, from '68. Wow. In um, yeah, she was in Denmark, and we tracked down the footage. It was in Norway, and we could have we could have. It was they weren't asking too much for it, but what they're asking a lot for was actually buying that song. It was like, oh my god. For people who don't know, and I know very little about um, about music rights, but I know. Uh, it's tough because it's not only um, the song that you're purchasing, yeah, that you have to essentially might have to pay for. You have to may have to compensate the artist. You actually may have to compensate the lyricist because it may be a particular rendition of it. It's like so so complicated. And these music companies, they do not play. No, like if they if they see that you are misusing their stuff, they will come after you. Yeah, and but the the worst part is, so we we had a little bit of budget to work with, and we were like, okay, look, we want to use the song, we have the money to pay for it, but just like jump through the hoops and find out who owns the song and how do we get it. It was such a pain in the. It's a lot. Yeah, dude. It was like, oh, we just we're just like, all right, yeah, no. Essentially, the ladybird stuff falls under public domain. Yeah, because that it's the law is that like basically anything. See if I can quote it. It was basically anything that is produced by an employee of the U.S. government during their job falls into public domain, which is like you know gotta give I gotta give the U.S. Thumbs up on that. <laughs> so that's good. So the foot we found some great footage. So basically, what happened was is that the the Johnson White House they make a newsreel every month, right? And so they would they so they filmed the luncheon, right? And they were just going to film it for the the Lady Bird talking and, and stuff. But they, the cameras caught the whole the very first Eartha and LBJ encounter. They didn't put that in the newsreel. They just had it as B roll. And the, the the Johnson White House is really good. They would put all their B roll up on YouTube, and that's how I found it. And is is it through like the is that actually through the National Archives or through the um, the Linda B. Johnson Library? It's library. through the Linda B. Johnson Library, but then the okay. National Archives. It's all yeah, it's all connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so Johnson Library is really good to put. They put everything online. Everything's on YouTube, so you can go look through this stuff, and then they'll scan it for you in HD. And so I was looking through this footage, and I saw. You know, Eartha Kitt get up and talk to President Johnson. I was like, holy shit. And I was like, I wonder if there's there's audio for this. And then I went to the archivist there and I was like, did you guys, you guys must have taped this lunch. Somebody must have taped the whole luncheon. And they're like, yeah, we, we, we here's the audio right here. And then, you know, because it's, it's wild, it's not sync sound, but you can kind of, you know, it'll 
go for about a, a minute or two minutes before it gets two other things. And so I just synced it up together and I was like, holy shit, there you go. There it is. And Earth is standing right next to the mic. So, oh, so you can totally hear her. Yeah, totally hear. Yeah, that's why you can you can hear her so well on that. Uh, she's also speaking very loud and very clear. Yeah, oh, she's yeah. Well, she's <laughs> she's making sure she's being she's heard. <laughs> yeah, even like uh, Ladybird in her audio diary actually says uh, she's a very good actress. But I don't. One thing that stood out for me, which is like was funny, uh, when like you we, we were first kind of going over to me. There's a quick segment where I think it's a, a it's a clip from one of the newspapers, and like in it, it says that I that Eartha. Kit made um, Lady Bird Johnson cry. And then there's an audio from, from uh, Lady Bird like talking about that. And she says, she didn't make me yeah. cry. And it was just yeah. like, oh my God, like 1960s, you know, white women's <laughs> tears. Like, and she didn't yeah. cry. <laughs> yeah. well, it's, it's all, yeah, it's a lot of difference because there's some of the newspapers say that she did cry. And then she's Lady Bird says she didn't cry. Then Eartha says she didn't see her cry. So it's just like, yeah. It's, it's yeah, but crazy. Eartha Kid was also the villain there. She was Catwoman there. She was like, oh, yeah. she she has to, she has to make the good woman, the good president's wife. She has to make her cry. Yeah, that was I, <laughs> I, I made I made sure we 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 dig up one newspaper headline. What was it? It's like Negro, Negro singer attacks first lady. It was like, oh my god, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I made sure we had to put that in there. Like, oh God! Yes, yes, I do remember. It's like, oh my God! Like, it's like even Earth Kid had to deal with this shit. Basically, what happened afterwards is she was kind of banned in the, yeah. in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and she couldn't like all of her gigs dropped up, and then uh, apparently Batman was canceled. She was well. That was the last. Batman was about to be over. Oh, okay. I got, I got into my Batman history. Was she like one of the last? I know what two, two or three people play Catwoman, right? She was the last Catwoman, but that was that was also the last season of Batman. Batman was oh, okay. after that, yeah. Her, yeah, her gigs all dried up, and then uh, you know, back in the in the seventies, she gets a call. They're like, "Oh yeah, by the way, we found this file on you from the CIA that that said you were blacklisted and you were all these horrible things." And yeah, and the funny story is, the guy who found that was Seymour Hirsch, and we actually got to talk to him. We got to email him. Yeah, well, we will get the email. We asked him if he had a copy of the file and he didn't have a copy of the file like nobody has a copy of this file and but the yeah the funny thing that seymour said i think i'm trying to remember the email he was like <laughs> and we were like hey, do you have a copy of that file and, and he was like i'm gonna say uh, i've been living in the same house since 1978 and i don't remember where the bathroom is <laughs> do you expect me to keep a file from 50 years ago wait so did you try to get it through like the freedom of information act yeah, if I, if we were sitting at my house right now, I could wave at you. I have the letter. Yeah, I, I wrote to them, and they're like, "Nope, no, CIA was like, nope, no idea what you're talking about." Oh, mm, okay. Well, mm, uh, mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that also packaged in a block of text. Like yeah. it was just you showed that to me. That was a lot of text. Yeah, it was. A, it's a it was a standard yeah. form letter, and I think if we stick the lawyer on it, I'm sure we can find something. But you know, they do this thing. They what do they call? It? It's called Glomar. They Glomar you. Oh, what, explain Glomar. Yeah, it means we can neither confirm nor deny. It's basically from back in the 70s right. when um, the CIA was trying to raise a, raise a, um, a sunken Russian submarine. And, they, <laughs> and so there's a ship that was owned by Howard Hughes called the Glomar Explorer that was like, they were like, the ship was raising the sub, but they said, oh, no, we're just looking for magnesium nodules <laughs> and so 
and that's where that comes from. Where like they, if you get glow marred by the CIA, it's just it's just says we can neither confirm nor nor deny. Yeah. So the Batman footage, you were actually able to use, um, argue fair use. Because yeah, the, we have the the New Yorker lawyers on our side, and like we we're able to like tie that in and everything. So yeah, that was great. That really made the whole thing come together. You know. I, well, okay. First of all, like, uh, what was my role on the project? Because I'm I'm like shooting my horn a bit. Yeah, you're. Uh, we we called you associate producer, I think. Because I mean, you had some you had some good insights. You actually you mentioned the thing about the. Because Eartha, in her recording, she mentioned how the women are more concerned about the um, silverware on the table, and like you, you kind of brought that up too. And the, uh, the 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 font we used on the invite, you're like, oh yeah, people would remember that font. I, I think probably that font was used like all like for the standard font for invites all the way up to the seventies or something. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. you know it when you see it. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. that it's that typewriter typewriter font that With, like cursive slightly cursive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just stuff like that. Yeah, so I, I actually found a really good picture that I wanted to put in, but it wouldn't have made sense. But like when, like in 1968 or 69, mm-hmm. the, when the White House got New China, Lady Bird had a, had a press had a press conference. So there's a picture of her at a podium with like all these empty tables or like with, with just place settings on them. Just, <laughs> so it looks like she's giving a press conference to China. <laughs> The glassware kind, not the country. And not the not the country. <laughs> I just realized right after I said yes. that. I, was like, okay. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. So um how long did it take you all to put this film together? And and how long is it? And tell people where they can see it and when and all that. Yeah, so um I think that was pretty quick. I actually was so like probably from beginning to end, so we probably started in May and then we finished it up. up about a month ago so whatever that is seven eight months so it was it was pretty quick and then like my i even my initial idea was pretty much the same thing as it is like you saw an early draft of it it was just like getting better archive footage and getting like the full reg hd stuff so yeah so it was about seven months beginning to end well that's fast yeah it was damn fast and and the lbj library i mean those guys are great and they were so quick we got we got stuff out of them in like two weeks they're like you know, okay here's oh, a full awesome. hd you know they did do scans for us and everything and then do all the photos and they've got a lot of stuff on they get they are the first one of the first libraries to start putting like photos mm. in super hd online I mean, you get like oh really okay great shift, like four thousand by five thousand yeah so they've been really good yeah so so it was all pretty it was all pretty quick and basically i've done stuff for the new yorker which is where, where the site the movies are differing yeah, so have you have you done yeah, I just want to think another thing I want to ask you. So had you done stuff with the New Yorker in the past and that's how you're able to I've done stuff for Condé Nast, which kind of own actually Condé Nast kind of owns about every magazine you can think of. <laughs> they, they're this huge media organization. And uh, I did something for Vanity Fair yeah. about five or six years ago. And then kind of did some more stuff, some more things for Vanity Fair. And then like kind of when Corona hit, they were like looking for like archive stuff because that's you know people can't do it that's all you can do you can't go out yeah so so we had a we had a short that was supposed to premiere at um tribeca and we wound up selling that to new yorker and so we just kind of kept in contact with them and uh yeah they've been really good they're they're really good they also i think new yorker will send people around to festivals or they'll watch festivals and that's kind of how they're trying to pull stuff in but they're really good about about you know trying to make a presence now with documentaries and things like that so i'm gonna give a shout out 
to the National Archives. Right, Nara. Um, yes, <laughs> Nara. <laughs> because yeah, I've um, used that archives a lot, like throughout my archival documentary career over the past 10 years. And I, I've told the story before, but actually when I was doing my cross country train trip last year, it was it sort of started in DC and I went to the Library of Congress where part National Archives are housed and they actually had these Zoom cameras set up so you could actually ask questions of archivists. And so I, I went up there, I'm, gonna, I'm getting a little emotional now because I'm such a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I went up to the woman, I, I, I introduced myself and said, I, I do archival for a documentary film. And I said, I just want to thank you for all the work that you do and like your housing, like the people's history and, uh, you know, and like, she was like, who is this woman? But like, she got in, she got a little preclimp too, you know, so because like these things are just so important, you know, because it's not only the history, but it gives us the opportunity to rediscover history and understand, like have a deeper knowledge and like look at like these primary, like firsthand sources. This isn't somebody telling you about stuff. Like you're like reading something directly from these times. And um, while I was there, I don't know if it's still going on, but they had this really amazing exhibit on Rosa Parks. And um, obviously it was like photos and then like images of her quotes and stuff. And, but they had, they actually had her tax returns and people think like tax returns, why would you need somebody's tax returns? But they had her, um, they had one tax return um, that she and her husband filed before, um, before, you know, uh, she made the decision to sit on the bus, you know, and all the, all the planning that went behind that. Um, and I think maybe they made like 4,000 or 5,000 that year, you know, um, and then like they had a tax return from four or five years later, where essentially she and her husband couldn't get any work and they made like a couple hundred dollars, but it speaks to how uh, when these people were taking these um, profound risks for our, our for all of our freedoms that, you know, they were blacklisted and ostracized and it, it had like, it had a real impact. And then there was another exhibit too on the suffragette movement, which was really, which was really great. And it had traditional folks like Susan B. Anthony, but they also had suffragettes of color. So like black suffragettes, like um, Asian American suffragettes, Filipinos uh, suffragettes, Chinese, Korean, Latinx suffragettes. And like, these are women I'd never heard about, but like the, the documents and archives and the photos were there. That was just amazing to see. So the National Archives, a lot of their stuff is available online and you can view it, a lot of it's scanned and digitized. It is there for you to see. And if you are a filmmaker or some kind of content creator, it's there for you. A lot of it's there for you to use and it's public domain and it's free because it's the people's history. Yeah. So shout out to them. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why I kind of, like, I like working with primary sources because it's just like, this is it. this is how people thought, you know, back in the day, you know, war, warts and all, it might not be nice sometimes, but, you know, yeah. And yeah. this is what, the, I mean, this is the time, the time where there is so much archival stuff now. Yeah. There is so much collected and there is a new um, um, view and, oh, we need to keep certain things, even the, the bad things, but we need to keep uh, knowledge. And it's, it's awesome too, that I can just look into some Berlin archives and I can zoom into photos that are uh, from 1900. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I will find stuff that 
but wouldn't it just have been possible like i don't know 20 years ago or so from from from, from me i mean obviously for maybe for other people but um having all of that collected and and being able to access it just from my computer is amazing yeah, pretty cool. that, that's that is a really good archive uh, step up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Particularly for, I think, people like us who are like, we're totally Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> like, like, don't, don't get me going. Yeah, don't get me going. Yeah, because yeah. I, I do a lot of research on, uh, like, uh, I run a YouTube channel that just, uh, I do a lot of presidential stuff. So basically everything, like, you know, maybe it could, won't be a short film, but just like, I'm, I'll throw it up on the, on the, the YouTube channel. Like, I, I found this one of Richard Nixon, like one of the Watergate tapes where he's talking to his assistant Haldeman and they're talking about Jews in the government. And he literally says, the, the president says, we need to keep our eyes on the Jews in the government. So there's too many. In the, and it's just like, what the fuck? What? <laughs> Actually, like a lot of those Watergate, because I listened to that I mean, for one project and I listened to a lot of, not the Watergate stuff, but the Nixon tapes. Like people should just go listen. Yeah. Like it is gets yeah, wild. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and they're talking about um, yeah, yeah, man. That, yeah, it gets really crazy, man. Like he he was, ooh, he had a mouth. Yeah, that was, that's <laughs> the funniest part. Yeah, man. He was, yeah. He's, he, yeah, he was a cusser. He was a saint. He was, yeah, he, he was. was yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. Sailor, yeah. Just like yeah, yeah, he was definitely a sailor, sailor plus, and he didn't like anybody. No, no, he thought everybody was, he was not crazy. white male or Protestant. No, uh, you know, he's he was Quaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, like you're supposed to be the know, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, tricky dick. Yeah, the film that we were talking about is called Catwoman versus the White House, which is <laughs> uh, it's the story of Eartha Kitt a meeting with um, some opposition from the White House back in the 60s. Uh, you both see that on the New Yorker website, and I believe it's premiering on February 16th uh, as part of their Black History Month series. So you can catch it there um, as well. I also have a YouTube channel called This is the President. So if you Google that, uh, look that up and all sorts of presidential funness there. Um, then my website is scottclonico.com. Currently, I'm working with Sandy. We're working on a feature length film, um, currently untitled, but it's about an East German spy who- We're getting there. Yeah, we're getting <laughs> there. Uh, who defected and wound up going to the United States and becoming a stockbroker. So, uh, and you can see a short version of that called Betrayal at the New Yorker website as well. Um, so that's the stuff I'm working on, Sandy. Yeah, basically working with you, with Scott at the moment. I will continue my archival journeys <laughs> and adventures. I uh, want to get more in contact with the museum people here. We already got in contact because of the documentary, but uh, I really would put out more, um, would like to put out more East German normal life apart, away from that uh oh it's it's a it's terror and it it was no no doubt about that but there was also normal life and normal family life people whatever and and i really try to put that in into a podcast at the moment but um that's still in the making so just google my name sandy yeah. reading at one point and there might yeah, be some yeah. stuff one it might be a podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise i'm on facebook yeah. i will do stand up again at one point and scott and i just sign up to do improv every sunday also place worth uh um visiting is the comedy cafe berlin shout out to them also <laughs> yeah.
if someone's interested in getting in contact because they need something from some archives, some uh, translation or guided tours, uh, whatever I can, I can tailor them. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll do this. We can watch uh, Russian stuff. We yeah. can watch it at the old wall yeah. and stuff. So yeah. I was going to mention, yeah, <laughs> if you go, if you go to the East German museum, take an East German with you. It was so great to catch up with Scott and Sandy, and I was really surprised how much this conversation focused on archives. Archives are gifts from our past that offer us insight into the daily lives of those who lived before us. These artifacts also provide us an opportunity to explore our curiosity about the past in a way that helps us understand our present and hopefully the future. And Scott is a living example of how you can achieve your filmmaking goals no matter where you live. So take a moment to discover the unsung stories that surround you and create from where you are. Thank you so much for listening today. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend and check out Catwoman versus the White House on the New Yorker website on February 16th. By the way, I'm an associate producer on the project. If you'd like to support our podcast, click on the donate button in the right-hand corner on our website. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on all your podcast platforms. When you give us that five-star rating, it helps to make people more aware of our podcast. In our next episode, as promised, we'll finally have Bad West member Jaquil Constant, who is also the executive director of the Haiti International Film Festival. Visit our website at whatsupwdocs.com. That's whatsupwdocs.com. And make sure to sign up for our mailing list to get the latest show news. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at whatsupwdocs. Again, that's whatsupwdocs. And remember, keep telling your stories. Today's episode was hosted by Tony Bell and produced by Ronell Schubert. Music is by Sierra Thomas. The What's Up with Docs team would like to acknowledge the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Chumash and Pongba on which we are recording this podcast. 